I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm David Slitsky, co-host of Not 97, and this is OPP. Pod bless and welcome to another episode of Other People's Podcast, America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is David Slisky, co-host of Not 97. On each episode, David, alongside his co-host and a special guest, meet around a table at the New York Only store to discuss fresh music found in the depths of the internet. They present two tracks each, released in the last six to eight months from artists with under 10,000 social media followers. Discourse and context round out each show as the team breaks down what they hear and what each sound means to them. I've had the pleasure of being a guest on Not97, and for music lovers, I highly recommend it. I'm so excited for you to learn more about David, his job as an A&R at Epidemic Sounds, being the engineer for The Roots, and of course, his dope show, Not97. So... Without further ado, let me introduce you to David Slitsky. What's up, Dave? How you doing, man? Dude, I can't complain one bit, dog. Life is good. How about yourself? I'm enjoying life. I am enjoying the cold. But as we were discussing, life could be different. Life could be different. It's different in LA. <laughs> it is different in LA. It's very, very different in LA. Yes, it's like it 75 is. in LA. 75. People are a little happier. Moves a little slower. Oh, just all those happy people in the music industry. Yeah. <laughs> that we all know and love. Yep. We have our respect for. They're there. They're on Instagram. They're flaunting that they're in LA. Well, David, you are the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Not oh, 97. Thank you. I, you know, I've been tuning into the show ever since you put me on, like super heavy. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Like really, a really lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot. It's a, it's a really, really fun show to make. Yeah. So like, tell me more about the show. Well, first of all, tell me more about yourself. Where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from this small town in Western Massachusetts, Long Meadow, Mass. Shout out the 413. Um, grew up there, spent you know a full 18 years there before moving to Saratoga Springs, New York for college and was there for four years. And now I've been in New York full time for about three and a half years. And where do you reside in New York? I live in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Yo, Greenpoint, dog. That's... I fucking love Greenpoint. It's like the That's, upper. It's like the Upper East Side of Brooklyn. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It is with with more fun things to do with than more, the real Upper oh, East Side. Oh yes, absolutely. That is great. Yes, it's like it's like Upper East Side with popping restaurants. Yep, popping bars. Yep, uh, McCarran Park close by. Yep, it's like Williamsburg with a couple more trees. And my favorite record store. What store is that? Academy Records. Where is that at? That is on Oak and Franklin. Oh shit. I mean, we all know you moved to the neighborhood for the record store. Yes. That was actually the biggest problem of moving to the neighborhood is I was already a fan of the record store. And in my most current apartment, I'm literally two blocks away from said record store. Okay. And that is a problem. What, what brought you to New York? Um, music. I mean, I, I 
grew up playing drums. I went to college for music production, like learning how to make records from an engineering standpoint, from a production standpoint. And I was also playing drums in the music program, like in the, the big band and in the jazz program. Um, and I literally, I graduated on May 18th and like less than two weeks later on June 1st, I was in a sublet in New York. Oh shit. I like ran down here. Um, and I thought I had a studio job lined up and that turned out not to be the case. And I kind of like rushed around for a little bit and within another month, like was able to land somewhere. And yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to work in music. I wanted to work on the record side originally as a producer and an engineer. And then that vision kind of evolved. But yeah, New York was always the plan and it was always to do music here. Did you want to do like engineering or, or producing or rap or singing or writing songs or um a little bit of everything except for rapping um okay i'm not as much of like a wordsmith or a lyricist but i i mean rick rubin is like my idol so i kind of wanted yeah, to it's like on your, it's on your phone he's literally my phone background <laughs> um so i wanted to like dissect the different things that he did so like he was a producer he was an a and r and while he didn't know engineering i was like okay maybe that's like the one thing that i could like throw on top of the skill set that he's got already because he's already this incredible listener, this incredible collaborator, and he can scout talent. So like, yeah. what's the one thing he can't do? Even if so, if I can't do those two things as well as he can, maybe I could like bring a third thing along and like have like my package be a little different. So like I could still like compete with my idol. And so that was the engineering side. And so wait, you had this first studio job that didn't happen? Yeah. So I um I spent like my like a couple summers, like after my sophomore year of college, after my junior year of college, like interning at different studios in New York. And that second internship, I was kind of told that it was going to be a job, but I think there was like a miscommunication between like two of the owners and then like the one owner and the studio manager. And so like they ended up hiring someone to fill this job and like not really telling me about it. And so it was, it was a super shitty situation, especially because like, I really liked the dudes that I thought I was going to be working <laughs> with and they were on a dope space. And like, I really wanted to be there, but it just it didn't work out. That's that's always the situation with New York where I feel like flying in and out of New York mm -hmm. always is a story. Yeah. Like it's never easy. Mm -mm. You, you get to the airport in Minneapolis and it's this carpet <laughs> on the ground. It's easy. Security's light. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone had that story of moving to New York and it's never like this like grand crazy story. It's always like, fuck. Yeah. I lost my, you like, you got fired before you even got here. Yeah. Well, no, I, right after I got here, I, I like, I got, I didn't sign the lease, but like I, I signed the sublet agreement, whatever. I was luckily I was month to month and like literally like put my bags down and a week later, like when I thought I was supposed to start, I was like, nope. So then, you know, you, finding a job becomes your job. So it was like six to eight hours every day at this little coffee shop in Williamsburg called Black Brick that I would take the train out to out from Bushwick to. Cause I was like, all right, this is like a good freelancer coffee shop. Yeah. Sit here for six to eight hours a day bang out emails, send out resumes. And luckily, uh, a spot at the studio called Avatar opened up right at the time that I was looking for things. And they called me in for an interview. And next thing you know, I was there for about a year. Dope. And what are you doing now? Um, so now I do a few. I, it seems like everyone in music does a few different things, of right? Of course, have to, man. So the main gig, which has been the culmination of like a like a couple years long pivot, which I'm super excited about is I am one of the two North American A&Rs at Epidemic Sound. Wah, wah, wah. Very, very excited about it. Very happy right to be now. here. We are here <laughs> live from Epidemic Sound. Let's go. Um, and yeah, really, really happy to be here working in particular on building a roster of hip hop producers uh, for Epidemic to work with. And that has been a really, really, I mean, it's a dream project to go into a company that doesn't have any existing talent pool in the territory where you're assigned to work. And they're like, here's the kind of music we want to make. Go yeah. find the best people. 
And so explain to our audience, like, what is Epidemic Sound for so, folks that don't know? Sure. So Epidemic Sound is a music company that was founded about 10 years ago in Sweden um, with the initial idea of making sync licensing. So putting music in picture in TV shows, movies, commercials way easier than it ever had been before. Um, since then, that scope has expanded humongously um, to the point where we look we don't operate, but we look very similar to a traditional music company where our music's not only used in a lot of video, but it's also now available for consumption on streaming services. Um, we have this humongous community of YouTubers, of people who are making online content on a much smaller scale than our original partners were that are using our music. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, and we work with artists in a very different way too, where it's like, we're, we're trying to provide much more like financial longevity for them mm -hmm. in the sense where it's like a lot more recurring work than your normal, like pop or hip hop stars where they're only putting out, if you're lucky, 20 tracks a year, we're trying to get from all of them. If I do the math quickly, we're trying to get like, like 50 tracks from them a year and okay. we're trying to like compensate them very well for 50 tracks a year. There we go. Hustling out here. Hustling. So I, so I do that. Um, and then I also have the freelance thing, which is um, still doing like freelance production, engineering, a little bit of drumming. Um, and for the past couple of years, that's been almost exclusively with The Roots, um, engineering their upcoming album and a few other projects that are starting to spin off from that. And as of January, I've been added on to the live show for certain aspects of their live hey. gigs, uh, which is very crazy. Because um, they're recording here in New York? Yes, we're recording it here in New York. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's exciting. So we've been doing... A lot of that at Electric Lady Studios, which um, they're very familiar with since that's where they did uh, Angel's Voodoo, The Roots yep. Things Fall Apart, Erica Badu's Mama's Gun, Commons Like Common, Water for yep, Chocolate, yep, yep. a little bit of Electric Circus. So like they're super and Phrenology, I think was a lot of it was recorded there, too. So like this is kind of like the after a decade of being away is their return to Electric Lady. And wow. it's been it's been a really, really great process of working out of that place. So dope. So how did you get into podcasting? How did you discover podcasting? For the first time, was there a podcast you were really into in the, from the very beginning? I guess the reason that I started actually doing a podcast, it was it's, you know, the show Not 97 is me and then kind of two of my closest friends doing it. And we were all f in this like period of time where we didn't really feel like we were exercising on our creativity as much as we wanted to. Like, you know, I come from production and I really wanted to be an A&R, but I had no outlet and no no real A&R job at the time to kind of prove that I had this taste to like be one of these like industry tastemakers. My co-producer, Matt, um, comes from music journalism and he was sick of writing concert reviews and album reviews and wanted to do something different. And Rashad, our third co-host, comes from the visual arts community. I mean, he's a creator, he's a curator. Um, he's had a couple zine drops and he was kind of sick of like this like modern nouveau riche 2018 Instagram-y art scene. Yeah. And so we wanted to kind of come together and do something differently. And so Obviously, podcasting is the format of choice now for a lot of content creators. And, and we kind of looked at what was going on with music podcasts um, and saw an opportunity to create kind of a new format that honestly didn't take nearly as much work as we thought. And I think nearly as much work as a lot of our competitors would think. Um, and yeah, we're able to kind of come up with the Not 97 concept from that. Which is a great name, by the way. Thank you. I take no credit for the name. That's all Matt. Shout out to Matt. Great name. <laughs> Props to them. Yep. So... Uh, explain what are, what have been the challenges for you in podcasting? Uh, how have you been able to grow your audience out? So that's obviously the biggest challenge is yeah. growing the audience. So we've kind of approached that in a few different ways. The first is we've tried to, and for those unfamiliar with Not Ninety Seven, each week we feature eight different up and coming artists with less than ten thousand Twitter followers each, and we play one song each by them with less than ten thousand or so SoundCloud streams. Mm. So the original idea was okay, we're going to be able to help 
leverage our brand by leveraging all of these artist brands. Because what we do is we have to get in touch with all the artists before we play their music, not just out of courtesy, but because our format as a music podcast is super different. We actually cut in the songs into the show. So like in between the dialogue, when we're talking about the songs, we actually play the full song. So to do that, you need to clear rights. I mean, it's someone's legal copyrighted property. So you need to ask for permission to do that. And so obviously a lot of young artists are super excited for any type of promotion. And usually our promotion is positive because we're only playing things that we really like and really want to play. Right. So uh, the artists that we featured and have kept, especially the ones we've kept in touch with, have been really good about plugging the podcast on their social channels. So that's been one way for us to grow audience. Um, another thing that we did for the first two seasons, and I think are kind of pivoting away from in the third season, but not, but just from like a logistical standpoint, not from like a quality of product standpoint is that we got a different graphic designer to do essentially like album art for each episode mm. each week so I they did like that. a front cover and like a back cover with a tr- with a track listing and that was usually done by a different person and that kind of helped to open us up to different people's networks like through social media and just through their friends because you know we were reaching out to artists some of which we knew some of which we didn't really know but we thought would be like really cool collaborators for the show so that also kind of helped to bring us out to more people and so uh, how often do you release uh, episodes? We do our episodes every other week, and that's because it takes a lot of editing to kind of get them together. Um, oh, also, too, I guess uh, another way we get the word out is that we have a different guest who comes on the show each week. And so obviously, like strategically, we try and get guests who are killing it in the music game or in the media game or some sort of content game. And usually those people are like pretty rabid on Twitter. Um, so that's that's really how like Twitter, we, Twitter in the podcasting world is is very symbiotic, very symbiotic, very, very symbiotic. We've learned a lot from that. I mean, uh, Ray Whitty, who's like a freelance culture writer, uh, is someone who's on the show and her Twitter account is is popping both in engagement and activity. And she's like really been like a resource for us in terms of teaching us and showing us like how we could better be using that platform to interact with not only our current listeners and like our current the current artists we feature, but also try and like share what we're doing with other people. Was there a a person uh, or an interviewer in podcasting that really put you on uh, that you really admired. Like for me, it was Guy Raz. Mm-hmm. Guy Raz of how I built this really, uh, I loved his journalism style and how he went by uh, very, very narrative driven mm-hmm. storytelling. Was there a, a, a interviewer or a podcast that you were like, man, like that just really inspired you to get into it? You know, it's, Yes, and it's going to be very surprising because it wasn't a musical culture podcast. It was a sports podcast. This it was a Barstool podcast called okay. Part of My Take. Yeah, um, and I I love it because I don't laugh at anything nearly as hard as I laugh at that show. I mean, <laughs> these guys are so funny when it comes to like just making sports and culture jokes. And so obviously, like the tone of our show is super different. It's like a lot of cultural criticism. It's like very much edited in the, like, the sense where it's like it's unscripted, but like we're trying to have like a very clear train of thought throughout all the dialogue we have. But just in terms of like how we interact with our guests and how we keep the conversations moving, like listening to their interview style was definitely really helpful for me, at least in terms of making sure the guests stay engaged, you know, little things like using people's names instead of like I instead of like you or they because like there's no visual cue. I mean, that a lot of that stuff I took from PMT. So how do you go about getting guests on your show? Because you also feature people on on your show. Uh, How do you go about that? Are Is it typically about personal relationship or uh, a cold call? A lot of it is through network. I would say almost all of it is through network, either immediate network or like one person removed. Like we have coming up, um, this woman who writes for Billboard is one of our, uh, their social editors is like a friend of a friend. And we got that, got her that way and very excited about her show. Um, a lot of other people have just been like through the immediate network. Like we had Stroy Elliott from the Roots crew come on and like that was because I work with them and he owed me a bunch of favors. And we have Mark Kelly, who's the bass player in the Roots coming on later. Um, Davina Ogaro, who used to be a BBC One Extra programmer, works here at Epidemic, so she's going to do it. Mm. Um, 
I think the only real like cold calls have been like kind of Ray was a cold call. There, like there's this level of like of 2018ism where it's like you like you internet know someone, right. and so yep. like there have been a couple like we internet know you. Like Ray is a really prime example of like Matt internet knew her, and then she was able to come on. Um, we have a lost episode that will never come out with a guest who I will not name, but he was another guy who we really all looked up to as like a culture writer. And again, we internet knew him and he came on the show. And while that didn't work out, it was still like a really cool experience. Could you go into why it didn't work out? Was something you did wrong on your end? Um, I think it was like a little bit of a miscommunication on how long our show takes to tape because we all listen to the music in real time. So it takes like... Be- Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Between 90 minutes and two hours to actually record our show. And also like what the expectation is in terms of like, it's a lot of talking about the music. So like it takes kind of like a, a high level of focus. So like in a lot of podcasts, it's like very loose. Um, You know, you could be drinking and smoking and eating and stuff like that and like while it's a lot of fun when people come to do our show we've kind of noticed that the looser it gets the worse the product gets totally and so this kind of crossed the line where it, it became so loose that it's like oh shit like we we actually can't use this right right right. i i think that's definitely something that because i'm a big fan of drink champs mm-hmm. and that adds to the ambiance of that show but when you're doing something with just audio it has to be very in sync and very very tight and have good conversation flow and and everything else. And the other big part about it too is like again, like the whole point of not ninety seven was to kind of like vouch that the three of us had some semblance of curatorial taste. And like when we're trying to like get our names out there as like people who know what they're talking about, and we have to back that up with like actually saying things that are smart and intelligent and cogent. Like it does, it does impart a level of ser- seriousness just on the tone of voice that the whole show has that wasn't exactly intentional, but be- has like become a byproduct. And that's definitely like backfired on us a couple times. Like there, there's that lost episode in particular. Um, we were talking to a digital content publisher about potentially picking up the show, but like something that he was that this particular publisher kept telling us was that like our tone of voice is like way more serious than like any of the other content that they carry, which was like kind of surprising for us to hear. But like, again, made total sense because we were trying to make our name and still are trying to make our names as as curators and, and people who can kind of have like intelligent thoughts about music in this in this particular case and so that kind of necessitated like a seriousness to what we were trying to say mm, like what goes into the preparation for your show a lot of research behind each song so like me like it's a very fortunate byproduct of my job that i have to listen to a lot of music so a lot of the things that i find while listening for music that we could potentially use at epidemic like there's a good portion of stuff that we just can't touch because of the size of it because it's not in the right genre that i work or whatever so usually throughout that process i'll have like a little side list of going of a bunch of not 97 potentials and then usually out of that side list maybe three percent make it into like my two weekly picks from not 97 so it's like a lot of like comparing and contrasting different artists and like what kind of music they're making and then like every week i look at that big list and it's like okay who are my like real two favorites that i think are making like cool music that kind of sounds a little different um and then you start kind of diving into their backstories like looking at their like first making sure that they're small enough so like less than ten thousand twitter followers thing their songs have been streamed less than ten thousand times on spotify or youtube or whatever uh or, or soundcloud in particular um And then it's learning as much as you can about them. So like trying to figure out 
if they had collaborators on those tracks, who they were, where they're from, who they are as artists, people, individuals, and you bring all of that to to the table and you you talk about all that. And it's a lot of prep too, in terms of like listening to other people's tracks and we all kind of do it differently. Like mm -hmm. my take on it is like, I really want to just straight, like with my own artists, I want to bring all this information forward and kind of educate everyone and be like, this is who they are. This is where they're from. But I don't want to do that for other people's stuff. So I just want to listen to other people's music. And then like I take a ton of notes in terms of like what I hear, what I like, what I don't like, how, what it makes me feel like. And then all of the uh, context I want to learn like on the spot as okay. like we're debating it and talking about it. So what has um, 997 in the world of podcasting done for you professionally? One of the biggest reasons that I started it was that I was without an A&R gig. I was still freelancing and still really much trying to pivot into this lane. And I needed something to do that was curatorial and something to do that had some semblance of A&R. And so I remember, you know, in my first interview here, they, you know, one of the questions was like, so what are you doing later tonight? And it's like, that was a Wednesday and we tape our podcasts every other Wednesday. So I was like, hey, I'm going to tape my podcast after this and was able to bring that into the discussion about, you know, music and, and working in a curatorial capacity and being able to evaluate different types of music and different types of artists. So I, I think that has been really helpful also just in terms of like securing talent. I mean, there are people on our roster now that I either I played or guest played or the other co-host played on not 97. And so reaching out to them from an epidemic standpoint was much easier because we already had that soft connection from them being featured on not 97. Mm -hmm. I also realized that uh, whenever you speak on a particular topic and something about the world of podcasting being that the audience base is typically, you know, 25 or older, typically mm -hmm. college educated, it's kind of like a hoity toity right. source of, of entertainment. Um, it instantly puts you into a category of expert. Whether you are an expert or not, the fact of you talking about it and people listening to you, they perceive you uh, in that way. That's something that I right. found about. I hadn't like, thought about that actually about the podcasting world. The minute you speak about something, or if you're sitting across from someone mm -hmm. sitting next to you, uh, people now are making the association: we are we're music experts. We're in the music <laughs> industry. We're talking about it. We're people are learning from us. That is the last thing I would call myself as a music expert. Not a music expert, but 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 the people who aren't us. Sure. If yeah, you're in I Kansas, can very much understand Wichita, that. You're probably like, oh, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, if you if you talk <laughs> slowly and sound kind of smart and use like, like a few big words here and there, like people think you know what you're talking about and know what you're doing. Obviously, I know every person who has been a guest on your show uh, is is special. Is there a particular episode to you that people should tune into? That's your favorite episode thus far, and why? Oh, that's a really really I know. tough question. How many episodes are you in now? We are. We just started taping our third season, so we are 10, 11, 18 episodes in. Okay. So not not that many, but that's been spread out since I think we started dropping episodes like July. So, um, favorite episode. There might be a tie for two very different reasons. Okay, g give me the tie. Season one, episode six, which was our bonus episode. We okay. only wanted to do like a five episode season. The guest on that was a Dutch musician named Van Common, who I had, who was one of my first picks on the show. I had found out I mean, he only had like 15 SoundCloud listeners, or SoundCloud spins, like maybe like 20 Twitter followers. But he made like this incredible. It was like it was like a washed out Ryan Adams almost like that's kind of the best way to describe it. And I really, really liked it. Um, So I featured him on the show early. We obviously we hit him up because we have to to use his music on the show. Um, 
And then he emailed us back saying yes. And that also he would be in New York like in two months later and had been planning this like kind of like nine month long meandering road trip through the United States. And sort of like you have to be like, please, like come be on the show. So he was our season six bon- or season one, episode six, like bonus guest. Like he was the one who came in with music and we like got to talk to him and meet him and learn about him. And he was like he just turned out to be this like really, really great guy who then went on this like crazy cross country adventure by himself in the United States of like the age of 22 wow it's like wild wild guy but makes like fucking awesome like super emotional tear-jerking music like is just like a phenomenal songwriter dope um and that i think is tied with probably when we got stro from the roots on the show that was really cool that's pretty big that was pretty big that was pretty pretty big what, what was special about that episode in that interview i had never heard stro talk that much actually is he like typically a, a, he's typically a quiet pretty guy? quiet um, and I think also too, like he's the newest member of the Roots crew and is only, I only met him when we started working on the next Roots album, which was in like October, 2016. And then he really only came on full time as a member of the Roots in like April, 2017. And I think we taped that show in like November of 2017. So I had only yeah. known him for like six months or so beforehand, but he was definitely like for those first six months, like pretty quiet, like pretty reserved, obviously immensely talented, but like. You know, you put headphones on him and put a microphone in front of him and ask him to talk about music and he can just go because that's who he is. He is a music expert. I mean, he outclasses me and everyone I know in that sense, because, I mean, he's a root. He has to be a music exactly. expert. Um, so that was really, really fun to like kind of see that side of him that I hadn't seen before and like be able to have this like kind of new bond with like a collaborator. And it's like, oh. I see where you're actually coming from and like what's underneath the surface. And now every time I talk to him, it's like I get that not 97 side of Stro versus like the reserve, like one of the roots side of Stro, which I really like. When you wanted to first get into podcasting, mm-hmm. uh, like how did you know like what gear to get? Um, I got well, I knew that we were going to be four people. So I literally found the cheapest four channel audio interface I could find with four built in preamps and two headphone outputs that I could put splitters in. What do you use? A resident audio T4. Okay. It's just okay. I mean, the preamps are fine. The headphones on it are fine. Because you, your audio is fantastic. Being, thank you. You're obviously an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, your audio is fan- absolutely fantastic, which is why I'm asking you this question. Thank you. I think it comes much more from the mixing of it, to be honest. And I think the mix, the mixing was like trying to answer this challenge of like, we're going back and forth between two very dissimilar types of material. Like we're going from speech, which has a super high, wide dynamic range, to music, which normally has a much smaller, shorter, narrower dynamic range. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to make it so that someone listening in their car on their iPod on the subway doesn't have to adjust the volume? And so the real, the really the only answer to that was to put like an obscene amount of compression on the vocal stuff. So it would like you'd lessen the dynamic range and it could flow in and out of the music a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like... That I kind of knew that had to be the end goal, but like the process of like what is the best way to take all this dynamic range out was kind of a work in progress. And so like season one was like a lot of experimenting, and then season two I kind of was able to build myself a template that made it a little easier. Where, where do you record? I know, and then on the Lower East Side, I know you mentioned that. In yeah, so so we are we are sponsored by Only New York, and love them, and love that they sponsor us, and are super psyched that we get to record in their space. What's only, what's Only New York? Only New York is a streetwear brand. Um, I, I should know when or where 
and when it was founded, or I know where it was founded. It was founded in New York. They have a shop in the Lower East Side. They have a warehouse in the South Bronx. Super awesome New York brand. They make shit that's like way cheaper than Supreme and it'll last twice as longer and do all sorts of crazy partnerships and collaborations. Like they have this like ongoing partnership with New York Magazine. They have another one with the New Yorker. Um, the They have one with the city, with the Parks and Rec Department and the Sanitation Department, like just putting out tons of clothes, like using like these super iconic symbols and then have the, like a bunch of their own internal lines too and like do like very small drops pretty regularly but yeah. I, I love their stuff because it's affordable from like a streetwear perspective and it lasts me like a long time like i don't have to get rid of stuff which i really really like it's also dope too that you're you're aligning your podcast branding wise like hot 97 not 97 you know uh what's clothing branding in only new york only new york, only yeah. new york so you're really kind of i think that's a really cool thing about about your show Thank you. Being able to brand it around a city. I mean, give it a feel. Our website originally, and I'm so sad that we ended up having to take it down, but our website originally was just a picture of Ebro, like from Hot 97. <laughs> and I was like, I was cool with that being it. Like, if it was up to me, our website would still just be a picture of Ebro with a link to go find that, the, the podcast on iTunes. Maybe Ebro with like the bar. Like well, the we bar did around. that. We did that. <laughs> and I, I loved it. That's great. I loved it. Well, I mean, why did you take it down? Um, we, we kind of wanted to like class to join up a little bit, you know, like, like Van, Van Common, our guest, you know, my tide favorite guest took this like really, really awesome film picture of us, like in only like, it's great. Like, this like very shadow box thing. And like, we really wanted that. Um, and then we wanted some sort of little description about the show, which is literally like, I think one sentence about how like the three of us were like fuck ups and semi failures when we started the show. And then we wanted like a repository of all the episodes and the descriptions of the episodes and the song links and the different album art that we use. And so to do that, we kind of had to like class, like I said, class up the joint a little bit. Class up the joint. Uh, what are three podcasts that you're listening to that we should check out? Um, well, Podversation, number one, hey. one, one of my favorite podcasts, <laughs> um, I do love part of my take. I listen to part of my take every week. I mean, it comes out three times a week and I, I love it. And I think like regardless of what you think about the Barstool brand, like these three guys are just like hilarious, are just super funny. will put a smile on your face and make your day better. And like I've noticed that my like my days are better when I listen to that show. OK, so so like I said, uh, oh, it's not a conversation. We got to edit that out. No, it's OK. You know what? So folks who are listening. <laughs> Just fucking this whole thing I'm up, figuring Corey. out whether the show should be called Podversation or OPP. And so now you know. Now you have a little context. So let's have two versions. Let's have two versions. So Podversation, OPP. Podversation slash OPP. Part of my take. And then probably another straight up tie between WTF, Mark Maron's podcast. Yeah. Because I think he does really, really fun interviews. And I listen to that Obama interview maybe once every six months. And um, Walked Away Too Fast, which is another podcast that a friend of mine does. Um, he's a musician, this guy Keller Glass. And as a way of like helping promote the music that he puts out, um, like records a podcast with like people who have played on his records and stuff and like talks about like what they were, what the creative process was behind each one. Okay. Okay. And lastly, David, what inspires you to podcast? What inspires me to podcast? Um, it's like a, a solid mixture of a need to just stay as busy as I possibly can. A true love for music discovery. It's like I, I love and live for music discovery and then standing by the discoveries that I've made. And I think that's a big difference also between Not 97 and all of our competitors. And like our competitors, I think, are like anyone putting on a music podcast and then also like Stereo Gum and Vice and Noisy and Pigeons and Planes. We, and we had the two co-head editors of Pigeons of Planes on the show like all love to them and they've done a great job pushing our podcast but like I think a big difference between us and like any other digital publisher is when we say like we think something's up next if that 
person doesn't end up hitting, like we will own the shit out of that. It's mm-hmm. like we will like totally take a hundred percent of the heat and talk about why it was a mistake or talk about like why they didn't hit. And then conversely, like when something hits, like we're obviously gonna like still stand behind it a hundred percent. Right. Um, so I yeah, I just I love music discovery. I love like I love the act of finding something that becomes my new favorite artist. Wow. Well, David of Not 97, dog, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate you. Everyone go check out Not 97 right now. We out of here. We out. Peace. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, David Sklitsky, co-host of the podcast, Not 97. Be sure to check out his show, Not 97, and I'll be sure to have the links in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird, co-produced by Danielle Hogarty, music provided to you by Richie Quake. And before we get out of here, please be sure to check out our other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'll have the link provided for you in the description of this episode as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. God bless. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 